when I um, first moved to Hendersonville in the summer of 1997 and then ended up going into Asheville, I met um, Billy Jonas that year. I don't know how many of you know Billy Jonas, um, singer-songwriter who lives in Asheville. Um, his, he's called his music now Bang a Bucket Music is what it is, but that's because he played on five-gallon buckets at, at the time as his percussion piece. But he has this great song called God Is In. How many of you have heard Billy Jonas's God Is In song? Well, it's just a series of lines which begins, each line begins, God is in. So God is in the child's eyes, see them wide, wondrous, wise. And then he goes through the clouds, the oceans, the mountains, the darkest woods. God is in your strangest pleasures. Some say God is in the leather. (laughs) And it goes off like that. God is in the Christian house, bread and wine and holy cross. In the Jewish house, shalom, habarim, shalom. God is in the Muslim, Allahu Akbar, salam. God is in the Hindu way. And it goes on. God is in the Druid song. That's why they go on so long. (laughs) God is in the Buddhist chair saying, don't just do something, sit there. God is in the atheist saying, yeah, I don't exist. (laughs) God is in the Rastaman, I and I and on and on. God is in, God is in. And he goes, it's in your bank account, it's in your IRA, adding interest every day. God is in the beggar's cup. Sometimes God just fills it up. But you get the idea, and it goes on. But this is what I brought it in for. (coughs) He goes, he gets into your kitchen with God is in, and then he goes, God is in your Tupperware, but not in the lids, so buy some spares. God is in, God is in. God is inside of you and all you don't and all you do. God is in your greatest doubt. The jury's out, the doctor's out, but God is in. God is in. God is in. Got us in. God is in. But it's that Tupperware line that I did that and just had to do. God is in your Tupperware, but not the lids, so buy some spares. Here's where I'm going to make the connection. Last Sunday, we talked about faith as a word of orientation, this largest word for the meaning we make. It's sort of like that largest Tupperware container of meaning that you just put the other Tupperware containers in. I started to say it was like your drawer that you put Tupperware in, but that doesn't quite work. It's that nested nature of it. And I've done that since Billy Jonas sang that song, God is in your Tupperware, in that way. But it's faith. We use the word faith as orientation. Life is like this. Live and practice as if it were so. And then you have that sense of, okay, as you leave this sanctuary, you're good to go. So when we say you're part of a community, we're saying you're part of a community of faith of people who say life is like this and try to share it. You're part of a long line of faith traditions of meaning and living and experience that have done this living, done this work, and try to share with you an orientation that can help 
holds you in this great mystery. So when I say from there to here, you can go way back. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to hit some of the highlights. We could, just like the universalist tradition, we could go back to origin, O-R-I-G-E-N, as a monk who first preached about original blessing. Okay, Not original sin, but original blessing. That would require a loving God, an understanding of it in that way. You can come forward to that and look at Matthew Fox, even in the present, and original blessing. That's kind of a universalist understanding. You could go back into the 12th century for um, the Unitarian king in Transylvania. But let's just come forward to Unitarianism and Universalism here in America and think about the congregations in the Northeast primarily of this country in the late 18th century. This isn't going to be a history lesson. This is just jumping to give you context. Think about those congregations. We think about the Puritans, the Pilgrims, but the Congregationalists were the state congregation in New England. And the liberal ministers were saying that Jesus was not God, that he was the son of God, but there could only be one God. So they, the conservative ministers, said, wait a minute, you're too liberal for us. We're leaving your churches. So they moved out. And those ministers became known as Unitarian ministers. That was Unitarian Christianity. That meant we could be like Jesus. In other words, it wasn't about some sense of weird Christology that we had to struggle with, but that you could be like Jesus. It was a different way to be religious. And the Unitarians didn't split off. It was the more conservative ones that split off and left the Unitarians there with the churches and the communion silverware. And um, so in a Supreme Court well, the, of Massachusetts decision, they said that the ones who stayed got it. So that's how you had a lot of Unitarians churches forming in the early 19th century in Massachusetts. But you can see that. And then right after that liberal move, that move, um, different way to orient religiously, within 20, 30 years, there became the transcendentalists. We already quoted Emerson, and they said that you could be religious without having to study the Bible, that religion, the way to come to know the good and God and the way to be in the world, can be gotten from your lived experience, said revelation is unsealed. It's another way to be in the world. It's a big deal to be like that. Come forward in just another 50 years into the late 19th century and you get the rise of the humanists who said, wait, you don't even have to really think God. Let's just think about humans and what it means to be human and live well in this space. And all these people are coexisting together and you have the universalists all along coming up as this group who are saying to the Calvinists that everybody's saved. 
you're all saved. You don't have to live in fear of hell. They were known as no hellers. So just keep coming forward. And how progressive and inclusive. If all are saved, who do you exclude? And then you generate that. So just keep making that move as a different way to be religious where then somebody like me can start thinking about from my evolutionary background, my biology, my science, can start thinking of an inclusive universe and how it's held me. Then come forward to me coming to this congregation and having Fred Harris tell me when I was here for my interview, he goes, we don't do hymns. And um, we don't like lighting a chalice. (laughs) That's too spiritual. So that's that all, that kind of, living together in these different spaces. Then you come forward and you think about the questions of social justice. How many liberal, and I use the words strongly, I mean with some sensitive, but progressive religious people stood up for, were abolitionists. Let's just go there, anti-slavery. But if you go back before that, um, several signers of the Declaration of Independence were universalists, Benjamin Rush came out against the death penalty in the late 18th century, signing the Declaration of Independence. People came out for women's rights, civil rights, GLBTQ rights. What other rights can you think of? The right to vote for women, for blacks, for everybody, the democratic process. Public education stood up for that so that everybody could have that education. That just followed from that sense that all are saved. Social justice, because that's how the world should be, is called to be by the nature of what is, by this bigger picture. Fast forward, just keep coming forward into Western North Carolina. Come to Asheville. There was a Unitarian minister who started coming to Asheville in the summer, in the late 1890s. There were just a few people who showed up, and that's what the notes say. But then the American Unitarian Association put a minister in Asheville in the 1930s. It was a small congregation, but in the 1950s, they began to have a bigger congregation and bought a building. And in 1972, they built the present building that they have there in Asheville. And the reason I I tell you that, and it's going to come forward to the story, but is one of the big donors for that building that shows how people traveled was Lillian Sandberg, who was the widow of Carl Sandberg. They have their fellowship hall is named what, if you've been there? Sandberg Hall. Lyndall knows that. (coughs) And just this January... Um, just as another connection to the larger movement and message and way of being in the world, there was a memorial service for Clark Olson, who's a Unitarian Universalist minister who was in Asheville, a member of that congregation, and he died. He died on um, Martin Luther King's birthday. And he um, was present in the Selma to Montgomery march when James Reeb was killed. And so as recently as January, and 
the Selma to Montgomery march was in March, this month, 1965. James Reed was killed on March 11th, or that's when he died, on March 11th. And Viola Liuzzo on March 25th. So the, and the march was in that, that space. But the reason I'm telling you that is their children were present at the memorial service. Clark Olson in the Asheville Unitarian Universalist building. There was a Unitarian Universalist minister, Pete Tollison, who was the first minister who really came here on a regular basis. And he was an officiant at Carl Sandburg's funeral in St. John in the Wilderness. The reason I'm telling you all that, a member of the Asheville congregation was Wendell Cakes and Deanna. They were members of Asheville congregation. And they drove from Hendersonville to Asheville to be a part of Unitarian Universalism wanted a Unitarian Universalist congregation. They wanted, and they realized the presence of a progressive voice in their own hometown. So in 1982, they and, would it be 15 others? Are you a part of the 17 total? Yeah, founded the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Hendersonville. And with that presence and voice, those people, 17 people, changed Hendersonville. And they changed it for all of us. Everybody who experiences this town differently because they started that here. They carried that tradition forward into this place. So I asked Wendell, and Wendell is the remaining, Wendell and Deanna are the remaining founders who are here in this congregation. Barbara Hochschild was in the second wave, right? Yeah, and Bill Ball, and they've had to move um, to be near their children. But everybody else has passed away. So Wendell, would you come speak to us whatever you want to say, my friend? You, ne you never realized that history would live in you. No, I'm actually getting old. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Deanna's list of 100 favorite things does not include public speaking. So, so she, but, but she did write up a, a little thing too, back, too far back. Okay. And so th th this is uh, something that Deanna wrote a couple of years ago. Uh, when we moved from Indiana to North Carolina in 1971, we made sure there was a UU church near Hendersonville. We checked the UU register to see where the closest church was, and we saw there was one in Asheville, so we said, okay, well, we can move to Hendersonville then. Uh, that was a ma major thing. Uh, and we did. We went to the Asheville church uh, till 1980, and we just felt like we were not part of this community, and we couldn't participate in the church activities during the week. 
So we thought, we really needed a church in Hendersonville. And so in 1977, at a, a church council meeting, I mentioned that at some time we would have a fellowship in Hendersonville. And it did not go over well because they were in the midst of building fund for the expand the Sandwich Hall. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, but Simone Shoemaker was there and, and she said, Yes, that's true. We will at some time, and we should support that. And so, in 1980, then we, a, a group like ALIS met, and we, uh, out of that meeting, we formed the EU Fellowship here in Hendersonville, and we met in the basement of the first federal savings and loan, which is now a safe life. Uh, and then we got kicked out of there because they didn't know we were a religious group. So. <laughs> So we went to the Rosa Edwards School Administration Building because the Presbyterians had been meeting there for six months, and they got a building, so they moved out. So we, we met there for three weeks, and then they said, oh, well, you can't meet here because we're not going to allow any religious groups to meet here anymore. So they kicked us out of there. <laughs> <coughs> and then, then we went to the Girl Scout cabin, and they were very tolerant. They didn't mind. But we used to say that, the speakers, you could not only hear them, you could see them speak because it was so cold in there, you could see the breath in the wintertime. <laughs> so, 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 so that wasn't too good. So that, we ended up moving the opportunity house and, and then we bought this building. Uh, so it's been a nice journey. And ha having a UU presence in Hendersonville is just such a wonderful thing. Uh, when I go, I'm involved in a lot of different nonprofits. And you can hardly go to any nonprofit meeting in Hendersonville without seeing Unitarians there. And, and the Unitarians have helped found several of them, like, like Hospice, Francis, and Salve um, Underhill. They helped found that. And uh, we've been involved in it. And I helped found the Dispute Settlement Center. And we have just a lot of groups in Hendersonville that have benefited from having a Unitarian group here in Hendersonville. So our journey of, from here where we have no Unitarian uh, fellowship to having one that is so active and has done so much for this community, it's just kind of hard to believe sometimes that everything, when you go to all these different meetings and, oh, there's a Unitarian, there's a Unitarian. And so we, we have done just a lot to improve this community. And I think we, you can be pretty proud of what you do and to make a better community. So thank you for what you have done. Thank you, Wendell. <clears throat> Progressive presence. What a difference this fellowship, this presence has made to Hendersonville. So think it's a wonderful life and just pop it out like those things Wendell said or in that space. And then one of the things I, I'd like to share with you is that um, so in 1982, it was founded, and in 1990, this group 
called, well, first, they met, well, it's just 1990, they called Charles Grady as their uh, minister. And Charles Grady had retired, so he agreed to work part-time here. But all the things Charles did, he, there was a Unitarian Universalist student who wanted to be um, part of the hospital chaplaincy program, and Charles sponsored him, and other congregations came around to that, but all the Baptists left the ministerial association at that point in protest because um, they were having a Unitarian Universalist student. Then you come forward eight years, or six years, so 96, Charles retired, and in 97, they called me, and I then became the first full-time minister this congregation has had. Remember that in your understanding of where we where we are now. But to go back, I actually was president of the Henderson County Ministerial Association for many, many years as a result of, of Charles' work. Come forward to the events of 9-11-2001. We realized that there was no other interfaith voice present in the community except Unitarian Universalism and how it could be there in that space. The Interfaith Ministerial Association was formed. Think about way back then how parents and friends of lesbians and gays didn't have a place to meet. So they met here, Gene and Jim Allen. They had to, they met after dark and where they came in through a side door so people wouldn't see them. Come forward to that where Jerry Miller is thinking about doing something in response to the Baptist, to Mud Creek Baptist welcoming gay people if they'll only change, right? If you read that. And he says, we need to do something in response to that. He couldn't find a place. He came to me and because and, he didn't have the time. I said, yeah, we can do it because that's what we do. You know, we can do it. We'll have this Love Welcomes All conference here. Well, it got to be too big for here. So we worked with Trinity Presbyterian Church and it became a part of their journey. Come forward from that to this time of these things we take for granted where there is now going to be a gay pride parade in Hendersonville this June and um, the people who are organizing it and the speakers are going to be speaking at Trinity Presbyterian Church. So come forward. We take these things for granted. I can remember when First Congregational Church was not open and affirming, and the people who were trying to do that were struggling and came to the Love Welcomes All meetings and talked to us and then to Helen Bishop about how do we do this. How do we work with our congregation to be open and affirming? Now, what are they doing? You saw the, the front page of the faith um, section of Hendersonville Times where they are holding up 
their diversity, their sense of welcome and affirming, and their new minister is married to a woman and is a woman. So they, how far they have come, and they hold that up. On, and now it's on the front page of the paper. They also devote a whole paragraph to their involvement, their connection to immigration, immigration rights, and the biggest part of that is their participation in the Dreamers Scholarship. And they describe the Dreamers Scholarship, which is the scholarship that Judy and this congregation founded and made a part of the um, community foundation so that everybody could participate and it could be bigger. And so as a result, it's given We've given $86,000 in scholarships, as we said, to this, this point. That's because of this congregation. That's because we're here participating in it. And you who get down on what we don't do, take a moment to breathe and be and look around and appreciate what you do and what is happening. Because, not that you take credit for it, who said there is no limit to what you can accomplish if you don't take credit for it, if you don't, are not concerned about who gets the credit? Who said that? Ralph Waldo Emerson, transcendentalist. Come forward to any engagement and you can see us in it. For every child born is a revolution. It's a revolution with a song inside. Some can't hear it, but some hear nothing else. They'll sing night and day just to keep that song alive. Right now we're talking about our family ministry program. Just this week I wrote a letter of recommendation for Kate Underwood for the law scholarship of the UUA grants panel. Kate grew up in this congregation. Sure, he doesn't come here now. He's off leading his own life. But he called to say, let's talk about my upbringing and why I'm devoting myself to advocacy and justice work. And I wrote him a letter of recommendation. Last year, you're at this point in the life of this congregation, this pledge drive. I, I want to tell you that um, last year, Harriet Ball died. Um, but I want you to hear this and hear it in terms of your children and families. Harriet Ball decided that this congregation needed what was then called a religious education program for the children. Do you know how many children there were in this congregation when they voted to pass money to hire? Two. There were two. One was in the womb. <laughs> Not in the room. In the womb. It was a Cottingham. People go, well, the Cottinghams aren't attending. Yes, they are. They're members. They are always staying connected from that. Harriet Ball made it happen, decided we needed it, made it happen. I've heard in the last week conversations about, do you realize how few children we have in family ministry? What is family ministry doing? Do you know how much it costs per child to have a child in our family ministry program? It's budget time. 
we're anxious. But think back. Think back to our founder. Think back to what they did to make it, to build the space so it can come. This year, we were talking about, well, Vicki Benavides has retired, and then we hired Sonia Jones, and Sonia and I were planning for, when we talk about family ministry program, we're talking about a whole program for families. We're talking about parental support groups. We're talking about groups to support us dealing with our older parents and then being older parents. We're talking about having, we were scheduling youth groups and coming of age programs and all these things to be, you have to have staff time. You have to commit to do it. We have teenagers that are out there who just don't come because we're not offering anything. Why would you come to be where you're not being offered a program? When we create the program for the teenagers, which we've done in the last few years, they come and they're there. So when you're thinking about it, think about you being the Harriet Balls, you being those people. When we needed more space, the Balls and the Hochschilds bought that house across the street because it had just come on the market. And we have inherited all that work. Look around. Look around. This used to be a Baptist box with bad carpet designed from a fear-based theology. And we were in this for the first 15 years. Howard Hanger at Jubilee says that the building always wins. It shares the message even when you think you're sharing a different one. So we wanted a sanctuary that says who we are without saying a word. We did it and embrace. It was a design that came from our sense of orientation, not just to make it pretty. And it was done by this community, these people sitting around here who actually came together and did the work of community so that they could come to common understanding. Look around. It's a building that now has solar panels on the roof that make a statement that we are a community of and for hope. And then people say, well, we haven't talked about this, those solar panels much lately. You know, what is happening with them? Are they earning their keep? Folks, they are up there sending a message for hope, of hope. That's what we're about is putting out that message. And here we are, just like Annie Dillard says, the founders are gone, except for Wendell, Indiana. And the original staff are all retiring. So those of you after I sang who were thinking of coming up to me afterwards, which I've had happen and saying, I think you ought to keep your day job. Um, <laughs> forget it, because I'm not going to. <clears throat> but just think about this as you're looking at the pledge campaign and the pledge theme, and I'll wrap this up because I will hear that I've gone over long. We're, it's building the foundation for your dreams, but think about how that foundation that you're building is not just financial, it's organizational. 
if our dreams are no less than to be an organization that transforms lives and transforms the world, a religious home for our voice and a message for our hearts, a source of life-changing practices for us and in our community, we need to look and realize that the organization we have is not a very good foundation for here. It's not a very good foundation to go and grow from here. Because what coordinates our efforts, we are held together by unspoken understandings. We are held together by culture more than structure. And it's culture formed from a different beginning than where you are now, than where you have come. It's culture formed by people who got together in their living room, knew everybody, were able to talk things through all the time. Am I right, Wendell? To figure out what should be done next. And that's how the bylaws were written. That's how a minister was hired with that understanding. I just discovered two years ago that one of the founders thought that I had always been under the assumption that I was hired as a consulting minister, a consultant minister. And what that meant was we live in tension all the time between what we're trying to do and how we envision we should do it. And so it's important for you to get clear so you can put more of your energy to who you want to be. So we can put more of our energy to who we want to be and what we are called to do. All our founders knew the importance of a congregational voice and presence of Unitarian Universalism in Hendersonville. They knew the importance of it in Western North Carolina. And so now you are, we are, in that transition, which is a new beginning, just like the beginning that they experienced. And the questions are, how are we going to step up and be the, the ones, the perfect ones who have never been and be in that space? So I'll just wrap it up with Annie Dillard saying, well, first saying, this is an opportunity. Look around in the room at all you have, all you've built, all you are, and take this opportunity to then step into the future. There is no one but us. There is no one to sin, not a clean hand or a pure heart on the face of the earth or in the earth, only us. Unfit, not yet ready, having each of us chosen wrongly, made a false start, yielded to impulse and the tangled comfort of pleasures, and grown exhausted, unable to seek the, three, the thread, weak, and uninvolved. But there is no one but us. There has never been. When you've got a dream, you've got to stand up. Stand up and shout it. Shout it loud and clear. What's that I'm hearing? It's the voice of the people singing, saying, we will make that walk from there to here.